Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 8, a podcast on Genesis 12 through 25 and the life of Abraham. Well, Jonathan, here we are. This is uh, our last episode of the Notable Podcast. Not ever, um, but for this season. We've had a good little run, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, we've been working on this season for months. (laughs) So, like, this goes all the way back to July, and here we are in December, laying down our last... um, podcast and uh you know we i think we overpromised at at, at our first podcast because we said we we were going to make it all the way to genesis chapter 25 well we're not <laughs> <laughs> um god is more faithful than we are but we will make it to genesis chapter 24 which in terms of its significance and in sheer length is is unrivaled unrivaled in these chapters do you agree jonathan yeah so just to set up our listeners a little bit uh this is the longest story by far in the in the abraham account it is a whopping 67 verses long <laughs> In fact, um, some of some scholars actually call this chapter of the Bible a novella. It's it's a little novel, and um, I just I like it. It's such a charming, beautiful little novel that um, I think anytime you're having a bad day, just pick it up. It's it's it really is like it functions as a little book all on its own. And it's and it's a beautiful, beautiful. On one level, we're gonna say two things about this story, not one, but on on one level, it is a beautiful, uh, beautiful love story. <laughs> it's a beautiful love story, and so we want to say say um, that for sure. Um, but what I'd like to do is is just um, first of all see the forest. Uh, before we see the trees. And uh, I, I don't want to forget to do this, so I want to do it now, which is to, to lay out um, some of the structural things that I think are worth seeing. Uh, the story is, like I said, quite lengthy and, and quite involved. And what I want to point out is that as stories go, um, this 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 story is so complex that it has a number of sections to it actually and the way that each section of the story works is that some kind of tension is introduced into the story uh, and then that that tension is actually resolved and and so what i want to point out structurally uh about this particular story and i i wrote 
uh, some of this stuff down is that uh, as far as I can tell, and I'm not alone in thinking this, there's five major tensions that develop in this chapter and then consequently are resolved. And we're going to talk about how um, this is this is not just related to, but it is a teaching of God's sovereignty. So uh, here we are at the end of Abraham's life. And what has to happen? Well, the line has to come and the blessing has to go on. And so what we have here um, as a major motif is the sovereignty of God um, continuing to push forward the blessing that had been given to Abraham, which, uh, you know, I don't know when this podcast is going to hit your ears, but that's really, really good news this time of year as we as we get to Christmas. The ultimate, the child, the blessing, of course, is the Christ child, the, the ultimate um, child, um, and of course, also progenitor of uh, Abraham, our Lord himself. But so we have these tensions, and this is a big overall theme. The first tension is that the servant who's going to try and go find this wife, because that's what's happening, Isaac needs a wife. The, the servant is, is concerned that uh, when he goes back to Abraham's homeland, and we'll tell the whole story here, uh, that she might not go back. This is a very real danger, you know, Timothy, that you might not go back all that way uh, to go to a new country and never see this. There's no FaceTime or Zoom like we're on right now um, back then. This would be a major cutting of ties um, for this woman. And so that's the first complication. Um, and we're going to find out how God, the Lord, resolves that. The second complication is the servant needs to know uh, who the who the woman that God has on his heart for Isaac is, and who is this woman? And there's actually some nice little tension that I'm going to point out in the story. The way that it happens is is really um, really quite fun um, to read, um, and then that gets resolved. Um, the next um, tension is that um, now the servant has to get the approval of the family for this young woman to go back to Isaac, they're going to, they're going to have to allow her to be sent away. And then you have that tension ending up getting resolved in that section. There's another tension that gets um, uh, brought up, which is that uh, it seems like um, Rebecca might tarry. She might not come right away. And some uh, there's, there was a request that some days be allowed and then that's some some tension that gets resolved finally as well. Rebecca shows a lot of courage. She shows a lot of courage, Timothy. She's quite a woman, as we're going to find out in this account. Uh, and then finally, there is um, a, like we we see a note of this um, why right at the end of the chapter, and you just have to read it for yourself. But there is a note of tension when, of course, um, these two two people had never you know, they didn't know of each other, and then they're going to get married. There's a note of tension, like, how's this going to go? And it, then it does go very well, um, because we, you know, the closing note here, so she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So we just totally spoiled the story, but I think 
read it for yourself. But there's there's the major tensions in the story that all end up getting resolved. And it again, just to state it up front, here we have a story about God's sovereignty. I'm going to stop right there. I have a whole lot more to say, but I want to pause and see, Timothy, what you want to come in with. Well, yeah, I think you're, you're exactly right. This is this is a story about how God is going to going to guide from from start to finish. It's a story about uh, a person of faith, Abraham, who wants to assure not only that the, a bare physical DNA is passed down, but but the faith like that, that's his, his primary concern. And so it can't be one of the godless people it would have been so much easier to do it that way in the area. He's, he's going back to find some people who worship the Lord and who are a woman who's ultimately going to encourage his son Isaac in, in the faith, in, in the promises of the Messiah. And so you, you can see, you know, it, this is a story that helps us to, to be able to see better. And I, you know, I put that in that, that word see in quotation marks that God's hand is all over our lives invisibly. Uh, so, but here, um, so tangibly as well, that everything just sort of fits together. And we get this amazing um, fairy tale ending to the story, the novella. So I want to I wanna go into uh, the first movement of the story. And... Uh, this is uh, verses uh, one, starting here at verse one. And then I want to uh, go all the way through verse eight, or excuse me, verse, verse nine. And that lays out our first opening scene. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Um, there's a lot to say about it. I want, I want to pick this up and then drop it real quick. But uh, Abraham does mention the angel here. Really interesting little detail there. We never hear about it again in the rest of the account. And uh, it is very suggestive about um, how there are angels around us all the time, um, and we aren't even aware of it. Um, Abraham is by faith. Abraham is by faith. 
so I want to just uh, light that up and send it off like a flare and then let it go because that's what Abraham did. But uh, you here's what you have happening here. This, this is unprecedented, Timothy. Like, um, not, oh, wow, wow. Like, the, never before um, had anyone um, taken an oath quite like this. <laughs> this is, hmm, uh, hmm. The servant, Abraham said, put your hand there, and the servant's probably thinking to himself, there, you know, um, in the end, it does it does make sense. You know, Abraham is thinking about his offspring. Um, Abraham is thinking about the blessing that is going to be passed down. And Abraham here is adamant, adamant, adamant that uh, you are not to find um, a wife um, for um, for my son from. Um, from this people. It's got to be from his relatives, and that has everything to do with faith. Uh, he is thinking that his relatives have some kind of relationship with Yahweh, with the Lord, with God, and so Abraham is insistent on this, and this is where I want to pause um, from a larger discussion on God's sovereignty, and I think it's only right to um, recognize uh, God's gift of marriage. Here you have, here you have 60, think about this. You have a whopping 67 verses that on one level, I think probably a shallower level, but on one level are about marriage. Uh, how much, uh, how, how important does the Lord think marriage is? staggeringly, staggeringly important. You know, one, one thing, uh, people who have, um, people who have a, a desire to turn over the Christian religion, um, turns out that they're right, that when they, that when they focus on uh, destroying marriage, traditional marriage, that they are dead on correct. If you don't have, marriage is the fundamental building block of all of human relationship. If you can destroy it, if you can, if you can tear it apart, there is no, um, there, there, there's no foundation. We're actually seeing that in our own culture today. As, as one of the facets of what's happening in, in our world is that as traditional marriage is destroyed, uh, people are not experiencing security. Um, people are not experiencing um, strong economies. And so you have people who um, are lonely. They are um, relationally deprived. Um, they're struggling with addiction, suicidal ideation, everything. Um, now, there's a lot more going on in our culture than that, but certainly not less than that. Um, marriage is the absolute utter foundation of, of all of human relationship. Yeah, I, Jonathan, I think you've put your finger on a major issue in this, in this narrative, this novella, and also in our culture. I'll just say this, like, the, 
the way that Abraham esteems the estate of marriage is unprecedented in in these chapters. This is this this swearing an oath, like just just the fact that there's an oath involved elevates this moment. But there's more. Like he he asks him to place his hand under his thigh. And and this is how I've always thought about that moment. It's a very odd position to, to place the hand. It's it's a very um uh strange and the but the the biggest word that I would use to describe it is is a vulnerable place. It's very vulnerable. Like if you look at a, a male in terms of his biology and his physicality, the Achilles heel of the male's body is is right there under under the thigh. He 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 becomes very vulnerable. And that's how I've always understood the scene. I, I'm not an expert on the um the cultural practice of the day, but it, it makes sense in my mind at least that there if was you're gonna, this wasn't he made this up. Yeah, oh, that that's what I think because there isn't he made this it is unprecedented. It, yeah. it doesn't happen again in scripture, but here he's 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 saying this is how I understand. He's saying to his his most senior servant, "I'm totally vulnerable right now, and I'm I'm placing in your hands the the very future of of my son, my family, and the promised savior." And so he he's he's using he's he's signaling this to to the servant and saying Mar- the marriage of my son is of the utmost importance and now I'm totally making myself vulnerable because I'm entrusting this this sacred selection uh to you and and so it it makes you think like if how how important it is in the choice of a spouse like how do do we esteem it that same way um i I don't know but we need to we need to do we value a, a spouse of faith how much and what lengths are we willing to go to to make that happen for our children these are some of the things that we think about well, it is things we should think about. So I want to say two things about this. Uh, first of all, I want to get on the parent side of this because that's the most obvious, like Abraham's a dad. And so I want to get on the, on the parent side of this. Um, on the parent side of this, like how do you, how do you as a parent do your very best to get your child? Now we, we can we need to praise being single in another episode. We're not doing first Corinthians chapter seven. We're doing Genesis chapter 24. So I, I just want to say that um, we do have to talk about marriage here, but on, on the parent side, um, how do we get our children into a position where they are um, in connection with other Christians? This is massive, massive, massive. This is exactly what Abraham is doing. Like he is willing um, to go to the other side of the ancient world to try to to try to get his son connected up to another Christian. What are what are parents willing to do 
what kind you might you might think really hard about where you send your kid to college you might how do you get your child into contact with other strong christian people um prayer uh, but there's also a very physical very intentional move by this parent to um get his child into contact with other christians so that on the parent's side i i do want to i do want to point that out like some people are in, a, in in the United States of America today are talking about how um, it's not the worst idea to move if you're in a very godless place. Think about moving to a place or or at least getting your child connected to a place where there are more Christian people around. Um, but anyway, these are lots of things to think about for, for Christian parents. Is, Abraham is not going to allow his his child not to marry um he's not having it yeah and there, the other side of the coin is is today I, uh, like i said i'm not an expert on the cultural practices and arranged marriage and, and and things like that where abraham was able to exert a little bit more control here of isaac's future spouse and whereas today i think young people young people both men and women have a lot more responsibility in terms of you know what what things are you looking for in a spouse and i i think it's it i don't i can't say that it's sinful to look outside the christian faith but at least as a bare minimum you're going to want to say like wow did abraham was he adamant that he was going to do everything within his power to find a spouse who who held the same faith as his son and who would nurture that that faith. He couldn't. He wasn't going to have it any other way, and it wasn't going to be his fault if if it wasn't able to happen. If that makes sense, it would be. It would have been the fault of his relatives. Yeah. So you're on the side of the uh, on the side of the children now, and one one thing i i want to poke some holes into our cultural practices just for a second and this is for those of you who are dating and you know one question i asked my church was when i uh, preached on this is do you think it's just quaint and traditional to ask for a woman's hand in marriage because if you think that you actually haven't thought about um christian vocation much at all that is not quaint and traditional that is the right thing to do. Um, I've got a daughter and I have a responsibility as long as she's in my house to love her and protect her. And um, it's good and it's not just quaint traditional to say, hey, Jonathan Borman, I, I'd like to marry your daughter. Um, she's my responsibility as long as she's in my house. And it's another thing if she's an adult and living on her own, I suppose. But even then, it's still good and right so to do. <laughs> um, maybe not immoral, but it certainly is good and right to um, consult with parents. Um, parents are the people who know you best and love you most in the world. And talking to parents about who you're thinking about spending the rest of your life with um, opens you up to um, analysis and, and maybe um, things you don't want to hear. But I honestly wonder how many I've seen a lot of marriages go sideways. And um, if there was consultation and wisdom 
and counsel that was had beforehand by people in the know, a lot of pain could be helped. A lot of pain could be helped. And so it is, and even if 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 I could, I want to go this far. And and so this is not just Jonathan Borman um, saying this kind of stuff. Look look at what is going on in our world. We have an everybody acknowledges that we have an absolute disaster on our hands when it comes to dating, sex, and married, and marriage. You know, I look at the people who who live on my block, and she's remarried, and he's really angry at. Um, the ex, they're fighting about this. And on Netflix, it's Indian matchmaking. <laughs> um, and then there's another show that's really hot right now called Married at First Sight. And so at, everybody's like thinking about this stuff, even even on, um, I read a piece and this was the, the, the last place I expected to read this, but on New York Times media, put out uh, an important piece that actually argued that traditional courting practices are best. And people are going back to that now and arguing for that now. And in fact, um, the American Psychological Association, we should know this from the Bible. (laughs) We should know this from the Bible, but the American Psychological Association, get this, they put out a very well-respected study that definitively shows that couples, this is amazing, Timothy, that we need to hear this from um, psychologists. <laughs> um, we should know this. But psychologists say that couples who wait to have sex until they are married. So imagine that, a world where there are couples who actually wait to have sex until they're married. That they, Listen to this. Here's the statistic. Couples who... who they are so if they don't have sex before they're married, couples who do that, they they not only have less consideration of, of, of divorce, but also higher relationship satisfaction. I'm quoting this from the American Psychological Association. Higher, higher relationship satisfaction, better communication, and superior sex with couples who didn't. And so Nobody, 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 nobody anymore is saying that marriage is only a piece of paper. Nobody thinks that. That is something that people were saying back in the 90s. Nobody thinks that. Not even the secular world thinks that anymore. Um, It is super, super um, important to realize that people who honor marriage as God's gift, as a sacred thing, they are the ones who have the best ones. I read a I read a common I, I read a commentator um, who put it like this: Love. This is this is okay. This is this should be world shaking. I think this is a world shaking quote. Love is not the foundation of marriage. Rather, marriage is the foundation of love. Pretty cool. So here uh, we did a whole soliloquy, a whole excursus on marriage, but that's absolutely what you have here. I I couldn't agree more. You know, I I have these experiences as a pastor, too many of them, and to to the negative, and to to see 
how God lays this down and prepares this for for Isaac and Rebecca, and and to see the way that it's esteemed, approached, discussed, prayed on, like this is this is a big moment in the Bible, and I think that's why we get such a lengthy account here, or one of the reasons. Yeah, so we so you do have you do have marriage as as one of the big reasons that we get this account, but I want to go into something. Uh, deeper here. And that is, I want to look at the Lord sovereignly. Here's what's happening here. The Lord is sovereignly um, caring for his people in the most important ways. Rebecca's going to get a husband. Uh, we're going to find out Isaac's going to get a wife. God sovereignly guides this whole process. And so that's what I want to reflect on here in this first section, how the Lord um, sovereignly, sovereignly guides in our lives. And, and what I want to reflect on for a second is how we as Christians can relate to the Lord's uh, sovereign hand in our lives. And here's the way I want, this is the first reflection I want to do. Um, God, the Lord's sovereignty does not, does not mean we do nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It does not mean that. Abraham sends a servant to the end of the earth here to get a wife. He did not sit on his hands. And so what I, it's the first point here is that to be a Christian is to be neither a determinist nor a fatalist. You, we, we Christians are neither one. We are not the kind of people who say, okay, Sarah, Sarah, you know, what will be, what will be. That is not what Abraham did. He didn't say, you know what, he's 40, he'll figure it out, or God will, you know, a wife will, you know, drop from the sky or something like that. Oh, no. Um, what he did was, is he got his best guy, he got his sir, his best guy, and he said, put your hand right here. This is the biggest deal in the world. Um, and he, he took action. And this is, uh, I think this is, this is helpful for us in life. I, I heard, uh, as we relate in our own lives to the Lord's sovereignty, we are not powerless people. <laughs> we, we can do things. We can do things, and the Lord can incorporate that in his sovereign hand. I heard a, I heard a, a, a Palm Sunday. This is, it was one of the most bizarre Palm Sunday sermons I've ever heard, but it stuck with me. And it was about the donkey. And the so the sermon in, in, in the Palm Sunday account, the Lord refers to the donkey. And he, he says about the donkey, he says, I have need of it. That's what he said. I need the donkey. I have need of it. And the sermon talked about that. Like, why in the world would the Lord need a donkey? Like, the Lord doesn't need a donkey. The Lord doesn't need anything. Uh but the Lord chose to need to use the donkey. And one, there's an there's a, a ancient theologian by the name of Thomas Aquinas um, who put a name to that. And he called, he called this the dignity of causality. He called it the dignity of causality that, that in our lives, the Lord chooses sometimes to dignify our actions, to make our actions matter and he sovereignly uses our actions to do something good uh and so this is 
this is this is what part of what we're leaning like what I'm leaning on right now is we're not we're not completely powerless beings. Um, Niebuhr, Niebuhr wrote a very famous prayer. He said, give me the serenity to accept what I cannot change. That's what he said. And he goes on to say something else. And so what I want to make clear is I'm not talking about that. Like most of life, we can't change, actually. Most of life, we're very powerless in. But there are some parts of life where we can actually do something. And that's why the, the prayer goes on to say, and the courage to change what I can. Yeah, I, it's it's such an important point for Christians to get this that we are we do not sit on the sidelines of life as Christians. I, there's a there's a famous quote I and I I want to say I hope I don't reference it wrong, but I think it was Saint, Saint Augustine that said, um, "Pray as if everything depended on God because it does, but act as if everything depends on you." And and so it, he's he's encouraging us to participate in in God's sovereignty. And there, there's one part of this story I think that that we can we can move into further. And I hope I'm not you know stealing any of your thunder here, Jonathan. But there's a part of the story where it can appear it can appear as if the 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 servant is sort of say rolling the dice, like he's just letting God decide on the woman. But I want to carefully say, like in this later in the chapter, like in verse verse 12, there's there's a couple of things that the servant does that I think is really important. Um, and he, he acting, if we want to use Augustine's aphorism, he acts as if everything depends on him. So he makes the journey over there, all the way over there. He gets down on his knees and he asked the, the Lord of heaven and earth, the God of his master Abraham, to show kindness to him. And then he makes a plan. And he's and he in the back of his mind and in his heart, he's thinking, a good woman for, for Isaac is going to be a hardworking woman. It's going to be a generous woman. It's going to be a woman who uh, shows hospitality and She's not going to um, deny what I ask of her. And so he puts together this ingenious plan for identifying for identifying a good wife. And what the plan is going to be is that she's going to have to be someone who comes out to water the camels and that she is going to be someone who shows kindness to him by doing additional work. <laughs> so... This is a very special woman, and so he prays, and it happens just like he wanted it to. And as an additional benefit, she was also very beautiful. And, and so it becomes very clear that this is a woman of faith um, from the inside out, from the inside out. Yeah, and I want to I want to get into that the next part of the story more in a second but but right here we have this point like we're neither determinists nor fatalists and what what i think we can say wrapping up this idea is that we don't want to have too much pride in life which is that which is to say we bless ourselves the lord always does that but we also don't want to be cowards in life uh, the lord 
can use our actions to to do incredible good. And and I look, um, it's hard to get out into the dating world today. You know, some people just don't want to do it. It's scary. Um, and I probably don't get that. I I I've been married for almost twenty years. Uh, but here here the Lord blesses somebody who who gets gets out there and uh, tries to find somebody. Uh, well, and the Lord is sovereign. He can bless you. Well, I I don't want to say too much on this because we're really talking about sovereignty. But I think it's interesting to see from like a dating perspective where he looks for a good woman for Isaac and it's not in a bar is it you know like she he he goes to where the working women go at, at the time that they go out to work and so you know that's that's something to think about it's it really is like where yeah well we got it okay we got to go there let's set the scene let's set the scene a little bit more so here's what happens uh, the servant does take this trip um, as Abraham's emissary. Uh, this is hundreds of miles. <laughs> this is hundreds of miles. I, everybody should know that. This is a long, long trip. Uh, and he finally does see the city of Abraham's relatives rise up before him and he gets there. And then, and then we have this scene. And the scene goes like this. He makes these tired, thirsty camels kneel down so they can drink. And now, before I go any further, um, I want to give you a little bit of background information. Um, thank, thank you, Google. Uh, I did Google how much a, a thirsty camel drinks. Do you want to know, Timothy? <laughs> I, I do. That's uh, you've piqued <laughs> I, my curiosity. According to wildlife frequently asked questions. In just minutes, apparently camels can drink very quickly. Um, in just uh, minutes, one camel can drink up to 53 gallons of water. <laughs> All right, so that's a lot My of My car can't even take that much gas, you know. Like, wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we got 53 gallons of water, and we do have 10 camels on our hands which by my humble calculations is 530 gallons of water, potentially. Now, I also Googled this. Um, I Googled how, how much water to, you know, those kitty, the plastic kitty pools that you can buy for like, I don't know, they're, they used to be like 10 bucks. They're probably 20 now <laughs> that you put in the backyard or whatever, the tiny ones. Well, two of those, uh, 530 gallons of water are two of those completely full. This is a lot of water. That's <laughs> a lot of water. And uh, at any rate, the servant has these 10 camels, Neil, you know, they're ready for their 530 gallons of water, roughly. And he comes and he shows up just about the time the young women would be coming out to the spring of water of that city. And so, like you said, Timothy, he's right. He's thinking very correctly that uh, a working woman, a woman who's um, industrious, uh, is going to be out there at this time of day, and he does say a prayer. And his, and his prayer goes like this, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful and be kind and faithful to him. See, I'm standing beside the spring, and the daughters of the city are coming out. And then he shares he shares his plan with the Lord, and he says, Lord, I'm going to, it's basically what happens, Lord, 
I'm going to ask one of them for a drink. And then if she says drink and I'll, and I'll water your camels to let her be the one. Now, okay. First of all, I want to talk about this prayer. Um, and I, cause I don't want anybody to get the wrong lesson. Cause I, I think I might've when I was a kid, <laughs> somebody's going to listen to the story and they're going to say, they're going to think this is a model prayer. And what I need to do is pray a prayer that God's going to give me a sign about what I'm supposed to do. And um, then I'll just follow the sign. And if you, okay, if you think that you're wrong, this is, this is not a, not a model prayer. Nobody thinks that this is actually a model prayer. The lesson is not here is not that, oh Lord, when I go to church today and sit down in a pew, let the let the single woman who sits closest to me be the one <laughs> or something like that. Uh, that is not how that works. Um, the, uh, the, the godly guidance that I can provide as a pastor is this. We, we should not be the kind of people who dictate for God the way and the circumstances he's going to bless us. What we want to do instead, what's wiser to do instead, is please is to pray to God for the outcome. In other words, if you're looking for a husband, say, Lord, please provide a godly husband. That's That would be a model prayer. Um, I don't think that's actually what the servant was doing. I think there's some things in the Hebrew going on that could indicate he's actually doing something else. I think he's praying and leaning on God and sharing his plan with him and asking the Lord to bless the plan. So that's the first thing is like, don't treat this as a model prayer, or at least if you do do that very cautiously, pray for the outcome of the prayer. Don't dictate to God the way in the circumstances or expect some kind of sign. What is the servant actually doing? Here's what I want to show you he's doing. And you already talked about it, Timothy. This ser servant is using all of the discernment and wisdom to find a godly wife for Isaac, that he is that he is um, possibly can. In in other words, I want to I want to say this. Here's what we can learn about working with God's sovereignty in life. Don't test God. Test your circumstances. Test and discern your circumstances using wisdom. Because here's what the servant's doing. He's asking himself, "How can I find the very best woman for Isaac?" And he's thinking to himself, well, I got 10 camels. Let's see who's a hard worker. And um, <laughs> I, I, I asked my wife this, and she started laughing at me. I said, should I, should I call Rebecca a robust woman? <laughs> and, and, and my wife says, don't say that. Don't say that. Call her strong. I think that's what my wife said. Uh, but here's the point. I love what one commentator said about Rebecca here. This is very memorable. One commentator said, she is, she is the only truly Homeric, talking about the author, the great uh, Greek author Homer, she's the only Homeric character in the book of Genesis. She's an incredibly strong, industrious, generous woman. I mean, how, how many, like, um, hey, Isaac, buddy, you married way up. 
<laughs> I mean, she is she is generous. She is strong. She is hospitable. She's kind. She's a true go-getter. We find out she's actually beautiful to boot because the servant says, get me to, you know, basically this is what he says. He says, get me two kiddie pools full of water. And Rebecca says, no problem. I got this. And then uh she does it. it. It's just amazing. And so you're right, Timothy. Like he didn't he didn't go to the local bar and find out who's slinking around. He went to this, he went to find a woman who's disciplined and industrious and all that stuff. You got one point of the story wrong. What's that? He didn't ask for water for his camels. She offered oh, right, the generosity. Yeah. Right. Like she it like she he asked only for a little bit to drink. And then she's like, let me take care of your camels too. <laughs> yeah, to, Which, to, yeah. That's a whole nother level. Yeah. And, and so like, he, here's like, here's the thing, right? Like he was, he was actually looking for a woman. If I could be so bold to say it like this, who's like the Lord, <laughs> who's faithful and committed and kind and good and generous that's rebecca right and what's interesting about that is that god answers his prayer he wouldn't have had to you know but he does and then the servant it studies her he doesn't say a word like he actually just sits there it, it seems he does not help her haul the water he just watches her and it says Genesis says, to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. So he's waiting to see if if this, um, you know, bad feelings um, rise up in, in Rebecca and that they're going to be demonstrated all while, while she's hauling this water. And he's watching really closely. And what he's discerning is, wow, I, I can't believe it, but the Lord has answered my prayer like immediately which is a blessing that doesn't always happen i think it's important to to recognize that it doesn't always happen i want to i want to close my comments on on this little scene uh by asking first of all our listeners to be charitable and understand that i've actually had to pray this prayer that i that i'm about to critique so i've i've been here there in my own way and I've done some really foolish things in life. Uh, and I, I want to talk about that in our next part. But right here, um, the Lord is calling us to act in great wisdom. We do not test the Lord by just, uh, you know, throwing up our hands. He's going to take care of it. We use all of the wisdom and all of the counsel that we can get in our lives to um, make wise choices. Um, and in fact, so I'm going to critique the prayer and I want you to know, like, I have great um, mercy <laughs> and understanding for people who have prayed this prayer because I have to pray it my own way. But we here's what this this part of the story teaches us. We should not be the kind of people who have to pray um, Carrie Underwood's song, Jesus, Take the Wheel. <laughs> maybe, just maybe. We shouldn't have a baby in the backseat when it's icy outside. Maybe that's not a good idea. 
And maybe we shouldn't be running low on gas when that's the case either. Now, I have a lot of compassion for that. I've, I've been in, I've put myself in terrible situations too. Um, but the Lord gave us a brain for a reason. He gave us counselors for a reason. And we are called to um, make the best choices that, that we can. Okay, but then we we gotta get we gotta get to this beautiful this beautiful um, scene here of all of a sudden sir we're not we can't do the whole chapter Timothy we can't do the whole chapter no I know I know yeah, we're, yeah, it's, yeah. it's 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 too, too much. much it's too much but listen I want to read verse fifteen okay and and uh, to to the to verse twenty one and then I want to get into it. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, excuse me, filled her jar and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave her a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw for your camels too, until they had had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Now, I want to point out a couple of things. The first is just um, very, very heartwarming and, and just entering the story just a little bit. If you go to uh, verse 18, um, you there you have your tension. You have, you have an amazing tension because the... Um, Remember, the servant said that she has to freely of her own accord offer to, to water the camels. And she doesn't offer right away. <laughs> so she says, drink, my Lord, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. So this whole time, he, he's drinking, and he's got to be thinking to himself, like, what is going to happen next? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And then... In verse 19, you can just sense the way that Moses, the tension that Moses puts into this. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. And it's a very, it's a very tense little scene for the servant. But I also want to I also want to point out this. In verse 15, it says, Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. <laughs> and, and so we, as readers of the story, know what's going to happen before the servant does. We actually know that this is the right woman. There is no tension for us in this story at all. Now I want to. I want to. Okay, <laughs> I want to put it like this. Uh, this is terrible, terrible modern storytelling. There is not now. 
this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. Um, but everybody recognized the, ro the like romantic stories are dead, right? Like their rom-coms don't happen anymore. The reason rom-coms that have come out have all flopped because romance is dead. <laughs> our, this is, it's an interesting thing in our culture. Uh, I can see you just reacting, but <laughs> we have to go back to the 90s, Timothy. There used to be a lot of rom-coms. And when there were rom-coms, there's no rom-com that would ever tell a romance story like this. Nobody would ever, if I did this to my wife and she's watching a rom-com and I said, they're going to get together in the end. <laughs> this is the person. If they ever did that, my wife would look at me with lasers coming out of her eyes and she would say, I don't want you to spoil the ending. But here in the Bible, it spoils the ending. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a little bit of a rabbit hole in astute cultural observation. Although this time of year, Jonathan, Hallmark Channel is 24 hours a day. So Don't I know it? Don't I know it? They all have to, they all have to leave New York City and go back. They all, yeah, no, they leave. They go from their big careers in New York City and go to some quaint little town in Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and, exactly and find some lumberjack in a flannel that they're going to fall in love with and <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's not as dead as i think anyway <laughs> the um at any rate the uh what is this telling us about life oh well i'll spoil the ending the lord actually as christians does not want us to live our lives white knuckling it he wants us to know that the perfect ending is already there. Tension and anxiety and always questioning it is life in the movies. It is not life with God, and it is not the life of faith. Uh, we may not know how the perfect ending is going to come out, come about, but we know the perfect ending is coming for us. And th this is this is what this is finally what the story calls us to believe is that the Lord is working out all things for our good and that we can, we can trust him on that. And, and we can trust him on that because this is a story that is a whole lot more than about two people falling in love and getting married. This is, this is at the end of the day, this is a story about how Abraham's going to have a kid who's going to have a kid who's going to have a kid um, who's going to come and bless the entire world. And you see that God keeping that promise here. Um, I saw a meme. I, I saw a meme recently that reminded me of that. It showed a, a picture of a grandma and it said, why do grandmas love their granddaughter so much? And then the meme talked about how already inside the grandma, they're inside the, the mother in utero were already perfect, perfectly formed little eggs. And so, you know, half of that grand uh, granddaughter was already there inside of the grandma, um, however many years ago. And so why do you think it was that Abraham had, had um, the servant put his hand under his thigh? Because he's thinking about that. The seed of Abraham um, as the Bible, as it's as we learned, um, is going to come and take back his world. 
And he's going to sovereignly redeem with sovereign grace every part of our life. Somehow make our lives add up to one perfect giant wedding feast at the end of all things. And uh, Timothy, I'm kind of winding up and then I'm done. And then whatever is whatever is whatever you say is going to end our podcast but i want to end by saying this that is true for everybody who's listened to this like i i i want i want all of our listeners to be so encouraged right now wherever you are at in your life whether you've totally screwed it up um you've been totally unwise maybe you've been way too passive i don't know what it is the lord is still your god and he still loves you, and he's still going to save you in Jesus' name. And that's why, like, I critiqued Carrie Nord's famous song, but there's a part of me that that loves it, because you have the story of the single mom um, who's so desperate and in so much pain that she's trying to get, I think, if I remember it, trying to get home, you know? And what? It, and the song goes like this. It was still getting colder. When she made it to the shoulder and the car came to a stop, she cried when she saw the baby in the back seat sleeping like a rock. And for the first time in a long time, she bowed her head to pray. And why? Because Jesus had taken the wheel. And that is the grace of God. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is is so much more than that he can use our actions to bless us. But the grace of God is that he's so saving that even when we've done the dumbest and wrongest, and uh, man, Abraham, I don't know what your reflections are on Abraham, but I, I, I came to see that Abraham was more sinful than I thought he was. <laughs> and I thought he already was a sinner. I learned that in, in this podcast. And um he somehow sovereignly uh, in grace turns everything out for our good. And Timothy, Abraham believed that. And I believe that. I've come to believe that more through this podcast. Um, and I pray that that you would you would be encouraged by that, that here's a story about how the Lord uh, predestined us in Christ um, to live with him at the ultimate wedding feast. There, there's so much I think we, I want to say, and you're already kind of rising to the culmination of this season, even, you know, and as I reflect on Abraham's life, one of the things that I didn't realize before going, spending months studying these chapters and narratives is how dark Abraham's life was and, and how many different traps he fell into and how many different um, detours he took to where he needed to go. And so, you know, you, 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 you keep asking yourself, well, what does the life of faith look like? Because ultimately, this is a call to live by faith. And one of the things I think I'm taking away is, and I'm going to steal this from somebody else, but to always have this on our hearts, and this connects to the story too, what is it that God's going to do for me today? Or 
and to and to trust that plan like to move out powerfully and and to live what we think and we've determined in our hearts is god pleasing and good but then to always have that question what's god going to do for me today and the one person and it just stuck with me said that's a that's a that's holy curiosity instead of living with constantly an anxiety and fear and doubt it is is God for me? Is he against me? You know, I wonder if if Abraham, if he would have just lived, what's God with that holy curiosity in, in his in his in, in his heart when he would have started this journey? Like, what's God gonna do for me in this new land? And and how is he gonna give me the son? And maybe, just maybe, he could have he would have made it to the exact same place by God's faithfulness. But he could have done it with without so many errors and mistakes and hurts that he caused to others, and maybe just maybe um, he he could have quote enjoy enjoy the ride a little bit more if we could say it that way. Um, but God's faithful; He's going to get us there. He 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 is he's so sovereign, Jonathan, and I'm just so thankful that that we took the time to, to see that again. If this, if, if uh, this uh, season has encouraged any of you, like Timothy and I love to get feedback. There's things that were, were helpful or things that we can improve. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, we do pray it was a blessing. I know Timothy, I enjoyed it. Um, learning from you along the way. Um, I have no idea what we're doing next, Timothy, but I'm sure um, if the Lord gives us strength and, and time, then um, we'll come back for yet another season. We we keep seeming to come back. <laughs> yeah, I please just a couple requests of anyone who's listened this long. Please, um, you know, give us some stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Share this podcast if if. If you have room in your budget, make a donation. It's not free to host the website and things like that. We'd we'd love to have your support that way. And then finally, Jonathan, if we could just do this, could we? This is the last podcast this season. One of our listeners, I didn't tell you this, so this is a little bit on the moment, but one of our listeners would love for us to roll the credits for just a second. They want to know like what we've been reading along, and and maybe we just couple words about the different books that have been helpful along the way and i'm if we could do that really quick i think it might be helpful for people i can i can say this like besides like reading the hebrew and meditating on this myself um there was several authors that were really influential for me one was a the a man by the name of matthews he comes in a, a well-respected series of commentaries called the NAC. Um, he he's not as helpful. This is just my opinion. He's he's not as helpful with applications. But if you want to get into the technical grammatical things of the text um, to get a wider reading of the text, I really enjoyed Matthews. I also read a man named Ross, and he. He is he's much more helpful on the application th- side of things, on the preaching and teaching side of things, on the outlining side of things. Um, I think he's too heavy on sanctification 
he doesn't center things enough on on the gospel found in Genesis 12 to 25. I found him less helpful than Matthew's. And then I read the the people's Bible is always solid. It doesn't it doesn't have ton, tremendous amount of depth to it. We went well beyond that in this podcast. And then finally, uh, there's I, I think he's a rather um, I, I don't well maybe that'd be unfair. I'm not going to say it that way. He sexualizes things too much. A man by the name of Robert Alter, but he he makes really. Um, concise and interesting observations about the Hebrew text in in um a very short commentary on the book of Genesis and he is recognized as an elite Hebrew um scholar and translator of of the Old Testament it's worth his book is worth picking up. So those were he's, those are probably he's very, ones. He's very, very, you have to read him very, very cautiously. He's very, very critical. Very, very yes. critical. Yes. Yeah. And he, he does make interesting comments that sometimes are not helpful and sometimes they are. But those were probably the big names that, that I'd mention here. If you want to roll the credits on what you've been reading too, I think people might well, find it helpful. Our listeners should probably know like that the reason why Timothy and I often do have different insights is well because we do our own meditation on the text and with the holy spirit but also because we very intentionally read different books so that between the two of us if we each read you know say six to eight books then we can uh bring it all together into one podcast and hopefully it all makes sense and so i have a different set of books i read um a book called living in the gap um, between Promise and Reality, the Gospel According to Abraham, by a guy named, uh, I think I'm saying his name correctly, Ian DeGuid. And uh, he's got a lot of um, a lot of application. He's very heavy on application, uh, very light on exegesis um, of the scripture, but but thought-provoking. And if you want something lighter and and really very um I think very highly readable. Um, he's he's interesting, very respected uh, classical Lutheran commentator, uh, guy by the name of Leupold. His exposition of Genesis. He's always helpful, always very, always very helpful, always very solid in his comments. Um, Derek Kidner writes a very brief commentary on the Book of Genesis that I read in connection with this. I really like Derek Kidner. He's he's got. Yeah, he has beautiful language. He writes very poetically and very concisely. It's loaded it, language. Yeah, he, he can in one sentence. Derek Kidner says more than other people say with three paragraphs. He's <laughs> I, I like Derek Kidner a lot. Although some of his views are 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 maybe not as as ones that I would personally subscribe to. Um, I, I read Luther. Um, Luther is, of course, uh, known both for being um, uh, how I, I could say maybe a prophetic rhetorician, um, and that's part of what powered the Reformation. But also, he's a noted Old Testament teacher, and he is still um, his discourses on the Book of Genesis are still guiding the discussions of Genesis today. He is he is the guy. 
he's still one of the guys to read on the book of Genesis. You gotta read Luther. He's fantastic. Two two cautions though. Like I agree that you should read Luther. I read him too. Um, thank you for bringing him up. He protects in this is my humble opinion. I am nobody, but he really protects Abraham and reads him up. Like he there's he some episodes in his life where I was like, oh no, I can't. There's no yeah. way that I think that this was okay. And He's Luther right. yeah. protects him. So but it's interesting to read to read him anyway. His but, digressions are particularly fun, I would say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His digressions are very, very fun. Very insightful, man, theologically. And mm -hmm. um, I think those are the big ones. I read a lot of other stuff along the way, a lot of articles, journal stuff. Uh, but those are the big ones. All right. Well, thank thank you for that, Jonathan. I guess we'll leave it there. And um with that holy curiosity, because I I I don't know. We try to get a season out per year because <laughs> that's about as much as we can do. So um, we'll we'll see what the Lord God does for us. <laughs> and uh, we will um, hopefully come to you with our, our next season here in 2023. Please go to W.